0: the daily tap is live for thursday we are going to talk a lot about the box we're going to do a hypothetical mid-season tournament we're going to talk a little bit about pat connington's deal the take foul the ridiculous andre gadala comment all of that will be discussed um, today a lot of heavy bucks like i said Losing brewers too Uh, the brewers had a split against minnesota twins We'll recap that. We'll talk about my fun night on Twitter on Tuesday. If you did not see that, um tabbing the keg for there. So we already got the social promotion out of the way. And then in honor of National Friday, which was yesterday, uh, we are going to do properly rated, overrated, and underrated for fast food fries. I hope you guys will enjoy. Always a contentious thing when you're talking about who has the best fries, who doesn't have good fries, and who have fries that, you might have been sleeping on. Before we get started, I mentioned having the keg on Twitter. It was a really good week for us on Twitter. Uh, Judd Zolag, shout out to him. Uh, he is a radio host on the Score North in Minneapolis. He saw my review on Tuesday night, which I'll talk about more when we do the Brewer stuff, but also gave me a great compliment about the reviews and just feels good, man. Just really does. I really appreciate Judd um, and thanks to him for Thinking about me and reaching out, and I, I really like that. Wish people in Milwaukee would do the same, but that's here and or there. You just keep grinding, man. Just block out the haters, right? Uh, Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram. Tapping the Keg Sports as well on TikTok as well as Facebook. So go, go to all those. Follow those along. We have fun on all those channels. Um, and then you know what to do. Rate, review, subscribe. That's all I want you to do. Um, leave us a review. Leave us a rating. Do it, please. Like... It helps us, gets us a little more in If you guys are joining us, uh, first first time listening, because of all the Twitter interaction, welcome. Uh, this is Tabin the Keg. We talk about Wisconsin sports, and so I hope you guys will enjoy this edition of the Daily Tap. But let's talk about the Bucs. Let's talk about a hypothetical midseason tournament and a whole host of other things. The NBA Board of Governors, a.k.a. the owners, are going to explore the idea of potentially putting together a midseason tournament for the 2023 and 2024 season. It's a very interesting idea. It's an idea that has been thrown around for a while. The idea originated, I feel like, from Bill Simmons' brain. Like, Bill Simmons has been advocating for this before there was a playing game, using it as a potential vehicle to maybe guarantee a playoff spot or something along those lines. Now, this would be more of a soccer model than would be any other American sport. The EPL, the Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A, all those have multiple tournaments within the just battle for the cup, battle for you know the, the title being top of the table in all of those. There's their po- Das Pokal, I think. Uh, my Bundesliga boys will check me on that. You have Das Pokal. You have the FA Cup, you have the Carabo Cup. I think Copa Italia is the Serie A one, Copa de Rey is the La Liga one. Uh, so you have these tournaments that go on with the multiple leagues. So, not just the teams at the top of the table or in the top programs like Man U, like uh, Man City, Liverpool, whatever. It's also those championship leagues, it's those teams just a bunch of nobodies are playing on. Like that's the kind of the beauty of these things. So it'll be a little different, but still basketball is trying to infuse that into their regular season, and make the regular season more exciting. I think it is a good idea. I think it's a smart idea. The more I thought about it, the more I can see how this is going to work. And I low-key think it's genius. I know low-key is overused at this point uh, in nomenclature because the, the Gen Zs have maybe butchered. I wouldn't say they butchered it, but they just started using it again. We used it when we were kids. Gen Z now uses it. But it, it to me, it, the mid-season tournament makes all the sense in the world. And I think why it makes a ton of sense is A, it's a ton of money for the NBA. The NBA could easily sell this as a separate package. They could say to a Amazon or an Apple TV who's rumored to potentially get the NFL Sunday ticket, uh, then they could look at them and say, hey, we have this NBA package that you can bid on specifically. We will give you the this eight game tournament or we will give you the 30 game tournament and you will have all the games. Now they could be in partnership with ESPN. I could see this being a really easy play for ESPN and Hulu, right? Putting some of the games on Hulu saying, you can stream all the games on Hulu and then having a couple specific games on ESPN in general. So I think that's probably the route that we're gonna go. Um, That's how I see it. Um, I think that there's another element of this that I don't think a lot of people are talking about. Actually two elements, but one of them is the fact that the NBA could reset their schedule after this. Because one of the things I was wondering about was I was like, all right, so if you play this and say the Milwaukee Bucks play it out and we'll talk about how, how it'll look, you're roughly looking at nine games, okay? So if the Bucks are playing nine games, but the Boston Celtics play six games, right? How does that work? Well, the NBA can eat, say, all right, we're going to play this midseason tournament And then a new schedule will come out after the mid-season tournament. After the mid-season tournament is, we'll have the All-Star break. The All-Star break will maybe be impacted because, like, let's say it's Milwaukee and Denver in the final, right? Maybe Giannis skips out on it, Jokic skips out on it because they've played a lot more basketball than other people. That is probably a consequence that they're going to have to face. And if they're okay with that, cool, right? But say, all right, we get a week off and then we start the season again. You know who your opponents are gonna be. The NBA then can do subtle flex in terms of their schedule. So if let's say they have a ton of Chicago Bulls games and the Bulls take a step back, they can flip those out and say the New Orleans Pelicans are emerging or say Sacramento has finally figured it out and kind of a Baltimore Orioles-esque of... Basketball, they're able to flex all these teams and say, all right, we're going to put them on ESPN more. We're going to give this team more ABC games. Like let's say New York's revived. We're going to give the Knicks a couple of ABC Saturday night games. We're going to give them a Sunday afternoon game. Like it's a perfect way for the NBA to basically shake up their schedule and not really affect the players and be able to do this flex stuff So that their media partners don't necessarily have to be chasing their tails around. The NBA, I feel like, has done a better job with their flexes. I think that they're cognizant and realize that some games don't need to be on TV. And there are better games worth watching. I think we still have a ways to go with that in terms of the ideology there. I think TBS also, this is more baseball, but... TBS does a good job of this as well. And I think ESPN starting to do this too, where they don't assign Sunday night games until you know, they need to. Basically they, they wait a month and they're just like, all right, now we're gonna choose these games. Now some of our no brainers, like White uh, Red Sox, Yankees, I think ESPN already has that locked in for this Sunday, 8-14, so when the Red Sox, Yankees play again. We're gonna see a lot of Red Sox, Yankees in the next couple weeks. We're actually seeing this weekend, unfortunately, I actually enjoy Red Sox Yankees games, but so unfortunately we do not get to watch them because our Brewers will be playing the Giants at the same time. So we'll get that on the Fox broadcast and set, but back to basketball, they're going to have all sorts of scheduling opportunities. So what might this tournament look like? Well, originally I wondered, well, why couldn't you play a single elimination tournament? The answer is really simple. It never works with 30 teams you can't make it work with 30 teams. There's nothing you can do to make it work for 30 teams. Now, if the league does in fact add two teams, which has been rumored, Silver's denied it, and you add Seattle and let's say Las Vegas, then all of a sudden you have a 32 team tournament. And you could basically do a February Madness or January Madness, and it's a single elimination tournament. But again, I think that Silver wants the soccer model, because the soccer model would bring in more revenue. For those who are on, un- and the model, while we mentioned the club games, it would really be like the Champions League. And for those who are unfamiliar with the Champions League, they play those games on Tuesday and Wednesday during the week. So the chance and they have specific weeks for them, and those are champion- Champions League games. And then the following, weekend is when you play your club when you play your club opponents when liverpool will play manchester united okay but on tuesday liverpool could have been playing psg in a round robin because that's their group and they're like group a so that's kind of how i see the nba going with this i think it will be a little more condensed it won't be necessarily spaced out like you see in soccer yet i still think there will be similar things to it where there'll be games, let's say Tuesday and Thursday night, right? Or maybe it's Wednesday, Thursday. So ESPN and TNT recoup this and there will be a few games and and they'll basically do it once a month or probably twice a month to get you to where you need to be November, December. If you do two weeks in November, two weeks in December, you have all four games, then you can start the single elimination tournament in January if you want. If you want to kind of extend it to that February portion of the year, you could do, space it out, I guess, one in November, two in December, two in January, and then one, you know, the tournament comes comes around in February, and it's a weekend tournament. I would imagine it would, again, be spaced out. Since they're calling it a neutral site game, I doubt that they'll want teams playing three games in three nights. It would likely be something like, first games are on Thursday night, or they probably would do, they'd probably split it up. It'd be like Wednesday, Thursday, and then they'd have the semifinals on Friday, and then the finals would be Sunday or something like that. But how would this look like? Well, I took the schedule basically from last year. So I was like, all right, how? where did the teams finish? How would these groups look with 30 teams? And how do you get there? So basically you would have six, Six groups, you would have then six that would advance that would be at the top of the table, and then you have two wild card teams. How would you decide the wild card teams? You could do it in a hundred in a hundred different ways. It could be points scored, it could be differential, it could be tiebreakers during the season, tiebreakers the season before. I probably would prefer differential. Right. So you basically are like you can't really tank any of these games. You can't act like these games don't mean anything and you have to win these games because they are going to count A against record, but B, there's an opportunity here where if you don't finish at the top of your table, you could be an odd, odd team out. So what might this look like? So how I did this was I said, all right, we're gonna look at the top team and we're gonna go one to 30 and basically say, all right, the one team number one, which would be Phoenix, will then get the worst version all the way down. So then they play a 12, the 18 to 24, and the 30 in their bracket. That for Phoenix would be Minnesota, the Los Angeles Clippers, Sacramento Kings, and the Houston Rockets. So you get kind of how it works. Okay, I want to do the Bucks first, talk about the Bucks thing, but I just want to do preface it. So that's Phoenix. Tough kind of matchups, right? You have. LA Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George being back, the Phoenix and LA rivalry a little bit. There you have the young Minnesota team who's emerging with Gobert, with Anthony Edwards. There would be a lot of storylines in those games, and I don't necessarily see Phoenix as a clear cut favorite. What's funny about Milwaukee is they would have probably the group of death. So Milwaukee, being that they were seventh best team last year, would be in the sixth best with Boston, They also would be with Chicago. They would be with New York, who right now is rumored for Donovan Mitchell, and Portland. Portland is such a monkey wrench in all of this because Portland finished with the fifth worst record in the NBA. Portland made investments this year. Portland doesn't want to tank. They want to be a playoff team this year. I think Portland being in any of these shakes things up. So Milwaukee would have a lot to work with here and they would definitely be challenged. And the Boston-Chicago storylines would be fun. You get another Milwaukee-Boston game. So even if these teams play four times during the regular season, you're gonna get a fifth game. And whether that's at Boston, whether that's at Milwaukee, I think that's like coin flip stuff that the NBA would figure out. But, and also too, you get another Bulls-Bucks game, which is a budding rivalry. Get a potential of another Giannis visit to the Madison Square Garden. There's a lot of things to like about that region but it wouldn't be an easy one for the Bucks. Other regions would include the group B, which would be Memphis, Denver, Charlotte, the Lakers, and Orlando. Poor Orlando, right? I mean, that that's a loaded group too. You could argue that's a little bit group of death as well, just given Denver, expect to be better. Um, Lakers, I think you expect to be better. Charlotte, who knows, right? I think Charlotte's a little bit unpredictable, but yes, a fight for that top spot between Memphis, the Lakers, and Denver. Number three, group, group C, complete cakewalk for Miami. They get Toronto, but then they have Atlanta. That's not, I guess, that much of a cakewalk. The tail end of it is cakewalk. So it's Miami, Toronto, Atlanta, uh, San Antonio, Detroit. San Antonio, obviously, is going to be very bad. Detroit, I think, is a year, maybe year two away from being really special group D, or the fourth group, you have Golden State, Utah, Cleveland, Washington, Oklahoma City. Actually, that is the cakewalk. That, to me, there is no, there's no reason to think that you couldn't get two teams out of that, because Utah, obviously, is going to be tanking. They're trying to trade Mitchell. Washington, who knows? Oklahoma City, again, another team, I think, Is a year away, but we mentioned the Orioles earlier. I love that story, by the way. So that's probably why it's top of mind. And I made a decent amount of money on the Orioles. last like two weeks, including tonight. Uh, I personally see like that could be Orioles-esque and the Oklahoma City is a little bit better, but maybe that's more of an end of the year thing. So you get them early. Group E would be Dallas, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, New Orleans, Indiana. So pretty tough group. You do not know what what you are with Brooklyn right now. If Brooklyn has KD, that group alone would have Luka, Embiid, Kevin Durant, Zion. Pretty fucking good. Those would be all top tier games to keep an eye on. So I'm sure you're asking me, Charlie, did you predict what might happen in these? (laughs) Of course I did. Of course I fucking did. I, I... why wouldn't I do that? So here's what I have. I have the Clippers coming out of Group B, Group A. I have Denver coming out of Group B. I have Miami coming out of Group C. Golden State coming out of Group D. Philly coming out of Group E. Milwaukee coming out of Group F. Yes, call me a homer, I don't care. My two wild cards are Cleveland and Boston. I think I feel good about Cleveland, maybe Toronto. Be another one, but I think that you obviously Cleveland to me is a no-brainer. I don't think there's any way to say that maybe there's some Phoenix there, but I'll go with Boston. So how would you seed this? You ask. Well, if you're doing the top teams, then that means the team in group A will get wild card one, the team in group B will get wild card number two, or the one who had the highest point differential. So we're gonna say it's Cleveland just because that is such an easy group. So we'd have the Clippers versus Boston in the eight 1-8 matchup, if you will. And then you'd have Denver-Cleveland, Miami-Milwaukee, and Golden State-Philadelphia. So that would be your four games. Pretty fucking good. Really, really think that would be a lot of fun. So who would win that, you ask? I go with Boston and Golden State. So you get a Boston-Golden State rivalry. I don't know man i don't know yet if we're there with the, the clippers a lot of hype on the clippers this year i kind of need to see it i i'm gassing them up a little bit i'm not going to gas them up that much and then of course i'm picking the bucks um, because it's you know what the miami demons are over we've we've cured those demons those demons are dead yes this will be similar to the bubble because it's a neutral site game but i'd expect milwaukee to have a little more focus I also think the Giannis fan base is going to grow tremendously in the next year or two. And that's another podcast topic for another time. And then I will take Denver over Cleveland. It would be an awesome, you know, Jokic-Evan Mobley matchup. But I'll take Denver. And then I will take Boston to beat Golden State. I get Gets their revenge. It'll be this big deal. It'll be a year or two later. And then I have Denver beating Milwaukee because we don't have an answer for Nikola Jokic almost ever. So I will give it to Denver. And then it's Boston, Denver. And I'll go Boston. Man, I don't want to go Boston. Fuck that. I'll go with Denver. I can't go Boston. Just can't. Just can't do it. But yes, so you see how that could work. Now, it could be a little bit different, but that to me is how I think the construct is. So I think it's really exciting. The more I kind of did this exercise yesterday on my quote-unquote day off, uh, I, the more I got excited about it, the more I was like, all right, I'm fired up for this. I think this is gonna be awesome. And I think this, these will be great games. So I look forward to it. I think the league has, has plans in place and I think this is gonna work and we'll probably revisit this podcast in two years. I said I had other Buck stuff. So I will talk about the other Buck stuff going on. The take foul is now banned in the NBA, thank God. Basically what will happen when any team commits a take foul uh, without like under two minutes. So under two minutes, you still commit a take foul. But if you commit a take foul without that time frame, it is an automatic one shot for the team and the ball back. And that means that the team doesn't have to use the guy who the take foul is committed against. So if Giannis gets a take foul from Bogdanovich or any other Hawk player as the Hawks, or the king of the take foul, if you remember in the Eastern Conference Finals in 2021, the the Bucs won't have to use Giannis. The Bucs will not have to use Giannis. They could use Chris Middleton if he's in the game. Um, That is great. That is huge for the Bucs. I think that really benefits the Bucs. It adds extra possessions. I think it makes it really difficult on teams to say, are you going to take a take foul to basically prevent the Bucs from going in transition? I will be curious how this is enforced. Is this something that could be too fast for referees? Maybe. I know there are some people are like, well, what's the difference now between a take foul and a clear path foul? I feel like the clear path foul is pretty obvious. I don't think when you see take fouls, they're usually not in the sense of clear path. And if there are, if they are, that was a nice squeak, they're called clear path fouls. So I love this. I think this is really gonna benefit the Bucs and Good, good stuff just from a viewability standpoint as well. Like this makes the NBA so much more watchable than it did last year. Pat Connaughton signed a long-term deal with the Bucks. I think this was expected when he opted in. Pat Connaughton now will make about four years, $36 million. Uh, The extension will be three for 30. Pretty friendly deal. I think it's a deal that works for Pat Connaughton. He is an integral part of what the Bucks are doing the Bucs are clearly showing that they have a four-year window. And that's something I think Mitch and I can talk about on another show, about what do, you, what are your expectations in this window? You know, if you take out injuries, you take out something else, like what does that expectation look like with understanding you have all of these guys potentially coming back and you know that you're going to have these guys for the next three or four years. So what does that look like? And if it doesn't look a certain way after year two, do you make a move with Bud? Do you do something differently? I think it's a really good topic for Mitch and I to explore. Um, so we'll we'll book that one for for the Tabby the Keg podcast uh, that we do weekly. We didn't do it this week, but we will be back next week, even in the doldrums of summer. So we'll talk about that. But yeah, I, I think content is a great part of what the Bucks are doing on a day-to-day basis in terms of what they get out of their athletic department. I think this was all in all just a hell of a move by them. I didn't mention it at the open, but Chris Middleton had to get surgery on his wrist. I had to repla- repair some torn ligaments. Now I have no idea if this happened during the meniscus tear and Middleton was like, you know what? I'm just gonna get my knee worked on, we'll work on the wrist. Was that always the plan? Was Chris Middleton never able to play? Did he hurt himself You know, training for next season? He also plays a lot of pickleball. Did he hurt himself playing pickleball? We don't really know what happened to Chris Middleton. It was interesting, a guy on Bucks Reddit, I think last week or something like that was like, I saw Middleton in a cast, at a soft cast on his wrist, at the baseball game. And people were like, ah, oh, no, he's probably just sore, like probably just trying to stabilize it. Nope, sure enough, he's getting another surgery. It's a little worrisome, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not going to fully push the panic button, but I do think that not having Chris Middleton in shape is a little scary. Um, One of the things that I was hard on Chris Middleton, which I am probably one of the biggest Chris Middleton supporters. I don't hit shafty levels with Chris Middleton support, but I'm definitely, I put myself in the Mount Rushmore of Chris Middleton supporters. It fits the bill of all these guys that I support at all costs. Like they Chris Middleton has a his residency at Chuck's Island of disgruntled stars by the fan base. Christian Yelch right now is building a penthouse for those who are curious. But yeah, with Middleton, I just worry he's not gonna stay in shit. And he had that problem before the championship. I think it was pre Bud too. So maybe he he'll be alright. Maybe it won't be an issue. But I do wonder, will it take Middleton some time to get back? Hopefully he won't miss any regular season games. The they're saying right now there it doesn't look like he's gonna miss any regular season games, but I do wonder if the Bucks will not rush him back. They've been pretty cautious about injuries. They want people to play at their full health. I would just prefer to have Middleton back to start the year. I think a lot of there would be a lot of anxiousness, especially with a Bucks team where the expectation is to run it back for the second out uh, the last three years and to have some aggression, to have some stank with it. I think the days of the Bucks taking a team lightly in the regular season are over again because it did not work for them. It, the I wouldn't even say it was a coast in the play, into the playoffs, but this sort of nonchalant attitude, I think hurt them in the long run. And I think you could have benefited a lot more from trying to win a couple more games and get that one seed because one seed turned out to look a lot better than I think we thought it would be at the start of the NBA playoffs. Lastly, uh, I saw that Andre Iguodala said that Rasheed Wallace would be a better version of Giannis in today's generation. I I don't understand why current NBA players hate Giannis so much. I don't get, what, get why he gets under their skin. Is it just the fact that he's foreign? Is it the fact that he doesn't cozy up to everybody that he doesn't suck everybody's dick like what the fuck is that like seriously i absolutely hate that notion that Giannis is treated like a piece of meat i really do think that i think he is one of the most disrespected superstars that we have in any sport the guy is fucking great the guy is a disney movie about him do you really think rashid wallace would have a disney movie about him fuck no absolute brutal take from andre godal i wish i saw it sooner so i could have ripped him online um, but i missed it i missed my boat so there will be no rant on tabby the keg sports on instagram or tabby the keg sports on tiktok you have to settle it for it here but absolutely ignorant statement from andre godal and i hope he gets dunked on by Giannis this off season or this regular season miss the post there that's okay all right well, let's move on to the Milwaukee Brewers. Hope I covered everything for the box. If I missed something, can always go back to it tomorrow. We'll be doing a show tomorrow, by the way, before we wrap up the week. Milwaukee Brewers had an interesting week. So, obviously, they had their struggles. We talked about how they they look more like a contender than a pretender. And they followed up by winning their first game in Minnesota. Then they lost their second one on a Josh Hader walk-off. But... For being honest, uh, the Buck the Brewers deserve to lose that game, I and mean, they did not play well. They uh, Minnesota had 13 guys on base, left on base. Like Minnesota looked for that big hit all day, and they didn't get it until the ninth with Jose Miranda, who made me remind myself of Angel Miranda, who pitched for the Brewers back in the 90s. Just a fucking terrible pitcher, one of the worst. Brewers had a lot of bad pitchers. Remember Mike Fetters. No one, you know, no one embodied Milwaukee before Dan Vogelbach got here like Mike Fetters. What a fat piece of shit that guy was. Okay, sorry, that, another sidetrack there. So with Minnesota, the series itself, I, I mean, I will take a split. Twins are a division leading team in baseball. It's on the road. I, I know that if you're doing the math here and you're like, well, it was four and six for 10 games, you are still four and six for 10 games. If you go through 12 games now, you're 5-7. and seven. It's not ideal, but again, the St. Louis Cardinals aren't playing that well either, so all things are good. The Cardinals just blew a six-run lead with two outs in the seventh inning to the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think that says everything you need to know about the Cardinals kind of being a 500-baseball team. That's what 500-baseball teams do. And I think if I was a Cardinals fan tonight, I would be on absolute fire. Some things to note about the Brewers and Twins series, uh, Andrew McCutcheon and Willie Adamas go yard. That's huge. Like Brewers need that power stroke to get going. They are a home run hitting team. Uh, They haven't really seen it the last couple of games. Um, So the fact that they were able to not only have a couple home runs, but also manufacture runs. It wasn't the only thing they did. Two two run homers is nice. That's four runs, but they also got a run from Jace Peterson. They got a run from Jonathan Davis. Those are all solid things. And a really nice you know, quality start for Jason Alexander. Not quality, but four, four innings. Didn't do, had one bad mistake to Jorge Polanco and gave up another run in the fourth. But it was all uneven because of the rain delay. But I thought all in all, Alexander did all right. I shouldn't say it was good, but it was, it was solid stuff. Josh Hader continues to be a problem. He looked good on Tuesday night. He struck out the side and then the next night, Gives up two hits and then a home run, and it's wham, bam, thank you, bam. Josh Hader has to figure out whatever's going on right now. I don't know if it's the new kid. I don't know if it's the there's some guilt that he's not with the child. If there is a fear of getting COVID right now, I doubt that. But, like, I don't know what's happening with Hader. And I know he has bad months, and I know that it's well documented that he has one bad month a year, but he needs to work on it. And I don't know... If it's just the time off and he gets fresh and he's like, all right, I feel great. But I do think the Brewers need to figure out a way to balance him and say, all right, Josh, as much as you want to go out there every night, right now you look like a guy who will give you 30 pitches. That'll be about it. And if you pitch more than 30, we're sitting you for a night. If you pitch more than 20, we're going to think about it, but we'll probably be out there. Now, this takes some buy-in from Brewers fans to be like, all right, we're okay with this. I worry a little bit about Brad Boxberger as a seventh inning guy, as Brad Boxberger continues to kind of struggle. Like I asked the question on Twitter, I was like, are we sure like Brad Boxberger's good? Because I I just don't know. Like I, I just haven't been that impressed with him. I don't feel safe when I Brad Boxberger's on the mound. Um, he actually has had a brutal last 15 days. Uh, he has a 4-2-6 ERA uh, with a 2 and one record. So he's actually had three uh, decisions, but six innings of work, seven hits allowed, three runs, four walks. That's, that is not, not good. Not exactly what you want. He was really good in June though. And again, another guy having a rough July. So are we taxing the bullpen? Is that the problem? If we are, then how do you fix that? What do you need to do? Do you need to extend these guys? Do you need to hope that the burns and Woodruffs of the world can go seven innings and not just six? There, and I think you need more from the offense. I think The offense needs to be accountable, and you need the offense to give these guys nights off. So have seven or eight runs so you can see more of the Yandel Gustavs and the Hobie Milners out there of the world versus your Brad Boxberger or Devin Williams or Josh Hader. So, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Brewers bullpen this weekend. I advocated for if Hader wanted to take the weekend off, I wouldn't hate him. Like if Hader's like, I have like a finger thing that's bothering me, fine, whatever. I wouldn't say put him on the IL, but basically say, all right, take that time and we'll figure, we'll work around your roster spot. But who knows? I'm sure she'll be there. Hader is a consummate professional. Other things of note, uh, I can't believe the Brewers didn't really do much against this Twins bullpen. It's been bad. It's been bad for a lot of teams, but it's apparently not bad for the Milwaukee Brewers. That's crazy to me. Kustin Hira gets sent down. Another thing that's crazy to me, Hero has been hitting the ball really well. It's pretty clear that Craig Council or David Stearns are both really don't like Kustin Hira. And I, I don't mean that in like a, well, he just doesn't like him. Like I'm a fucking teenage girl on, on Stranger Things or something. But it's like, seriously, I don't I don't think anyone likes custom Hira on this team. Unfortunately, and when it comes to the front office and the clubhouse. And I really think Keston Hero is going to get traded before this deadline. And he'll get traded to some team, and some team will give him regular at-bats, and he will absolutely flourish. And it will make me want to drink cyanide. No lie, like, I just, that's going to hurt. It's going to hurt really bad, and I know it's coming, and it's going to piss me right off. Hunter Renfro also back. I get, and that's part of the reason why Hero went down. At the same time, I feel like Hura is more productive in terms of the offense than Pedro Severino. I realize he had a big double today, but it's like we're keeping three fucking catchers. Does anyone know why? Is anyone given a good reason why? I'd love I'd love to know that. So we'll see, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, not good vibes in terms of the Hura stuff. All right, let's wrap up the show with properly rated, overrated, underrated in honor of National Friday, which was yesterday playing a little catch-up, we're going to talk about fries, fast food fries, that are overrated, that are underrated, and that are properly rated. We are only going to do one. Some will get mentioned, but there are kings of these spots. Properly rated is our McDonald's fries. I think McDonald's fries are the go-to. I know that that is basic. I know that is what everyone would say, but there is not a lot of things that are better than getting a fresh McDonald's fry right out of the fryer. It's great, it's perfect. They taste good, they go so well, whether you're having their burgers, whether you're having your, their chicken, it it's perfect. They do a great job. I don't know how you look at them and don't think that they are the top dog when it comes to fries. Other mention, Arby's curly fries, I think have to be up there. You have to consider how good Arby's curly fries are. I think Wendy's fries are also in that properly rated mix. Uh, They deserve a mention, but again, I think nothing compares to your McDonald's fries. As for overrated, another easy one. It's Culver's. Culver's fries are fucking trash. I said this online today, uh, and I took some heat for it, and it's like, but seriously, I think Culver's fries are complete garbage. They are not good fries. They are thick. They are too doughy, there's just a lot going on with the fry. And I feel like if they were a little bit smaller or they're a little crispier, maybe I could get down with Culver's fries. But I don't think anyone's excited to have fries with their butter burger. It's just too much going on. It's too much starch. And I am way out on crinkle cut. I think a crispy crinkle cut at home, like if you get your, what's that, Orida or some bullshit that stuff you have in the, fr- in the freezer, like if you get that and you make sure it's crisped up, you can you can work with that. But that big crinkle, I'm not a fan of. That to me is number one when it comes to overrated French fry. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I would say is are overrated in terms of fries that would make a honorable mention. I'm trying to think here. I don't think so. Raising Cane's also has crinkle cut fries by the way, which is a little bit of a drawback there. A lot of people don't like in and outs fries. Um, I I don't know, man. I think in and outs fries are fine. I wouldn't, wouldn't put them in this category because not a lot of us can have in and out It's only in California and <laughs> in some other western states. But, yeah, I I would look at that and not necessarily call it overrated. I think there would be people who would call it overrated, though, if they're more in and out aficionados. For underrated, I'm going to go with Cousin Subs. And I know what you're saying. Charlie, you swine. Why are you eating fries with your sub? Cousin Sub's fries are so good. They, there's a reason they're on the menu. They're always made fresh. They are delightful. They're smaller. Uh, they they just work well. They work well with your sub, especially if you get a hot sub. It definitely is perfect. It's a great combination. I like cousin Subs a lot and I don't think their fries get enough mention. A lot of people say Burger King's fries are underrated. They are. I think Burger King's fries can go pound to pound with McDonald's. Like I think if we did a blind taste test, I don't know if I would know it's a McDonald's fry versus a Burger King fry. Like I think they're very close. But in that sense, it makes them underrated because no one talks about the Burger King fry. Another one that as I was doing some research popped up, haven't had in forever. Is, are the Rally Checkers season fries. Those things are so fucking good. They are awesome. They have just a great spice. They are these really good cut fries. I haven't had Checkers in, probably since I was in high school, like my guy Shannon and I, who you've heard on this podcast, we used to go to Checkers a decent amount. I remember one night, it's is a weird memory, but it's like we ended up going to get like a shit ton of checkers and brought it back to a girl's place at like eleven o'clock, ten thirty at night, and just housed it all. It was very good. Checkers burgers are again another underrated thing. They're very they're very tasty. Um, and man, that to me is you're like how are you fat? And it's like right there is your is your answer, your honor. Uh, I'm eating checkers at 10, 30, 11 at night. But yeah, that is a spot on 76 and north. It's uh, center, excuse me. 76 and center. Because that was always the start of it where you're like, oh, I see the checkers. And then probably 13 blocks uh, east there, you go to the liquor store that you could buy booze under 21. Which I could do a full Chuck's Corner story on one day. So if I, I'll write that one down. Because that's a... That's a good story time with Uncle Charles. I don't know how I want to be Uncle Charles. What did I be? Story time with Uncle Chuck? I think Uncle Chuck works because, like, Uncle Buck, but Uncle Chuck. Yeah, we could do story time with Uncle Chuck about my uh, ID experiences because they are funny to say the least. But yeah, that, you know, when you saw that checkers, that's when shit started to get real. You're like, oh, fuck, that's all right, okay. And then, sure enough, there you go. You're like, all right, let's see how this goes. So, anyways. Uh, yeah, just, uh, that's, that was a good little tangent, but yes, my properly rated McDonald's, overrated Culver's, underrated Cousin Subs. If you have any that you'd like to contribute, you'd like to throw in the mix, let me know. Social media, at Keg, @tabinthekeg, at Sports on Instagram as well as TikTok. Um, I probably won't, I don't really engage with people on TikTok. It's It would just people comment. So we'll just say Instagram and, and Twitter. It's late trying to get this done we'll have a podcast tomorrow. I, it'll depend on the brewer finish by the way, in terms of when we get it up. I'd love to get it up at night, but it, you know, we'll see how many topics we have. Maybe I can forego the brewers and giants and talking about that game since it'll be at nine 15, which I like, I enjoy the late night baseball, especially later in the week. But at the same time, that makes it tough for the podcast. All right. Take care, guys. Have yourself a good Thursday. We'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.